This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Earlier this week, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders announcing his candidacy for president of the United States in 2020. His policy agenda includes a single-payer health care system, Medicare for All. Under this plan, the current system, including Medicare and Medicaid, would go away with some exceptions for elective procedures. This proposal has been controversial because of the high cost of implementing such a government program that covers all Americans. Studies show that the cost could be between 25 and $32 trillion over a 10-year span. Senator Sanders has suggestions for funding it, including redirecting $2 trillion of current government spending, along with raising taxes on income over $250,000 and reaching a 52% marginal tax rate on income over $10 million. But could a national health insurance program work here in the United States? Mark Pauly joining us in studio, professor of healthcare management and professor of business economics and public policy here at the Warden School. Also with us, Rob Field, who is a professor of law and professor of health management and policy at Drexel University, as well as a lecturer here at Wharton's healthcare management department. Mark, Rob, great to see you again. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. This is a topic that we obviously have talked so much with both of you about, and we continue to go round and round about it. So where Bernie Sanders' ideas are concerned, the, the, the prospect of Medicare for all, is it something that can work or at least has segments of it that may be beneficial to the healthcare system we have? In theory, absolutely it can work. But, of course, like everything else, the devil is in the details. Right. What Bernie Sanders is suggesting, and Mark has been over this territory many times, is that it, it's not Medicare. Uh, Medicare doesn't cover everything. It has large copays and deductibles. Right. Uh, it, it it's not uh, a one-stop shopping, and it has a major private component. Uh, it does not get rid of private insurance companies. In fact, it provides them with one of their greatest uh, business opportunities. Uh, so, uh, could Bernie Sanders' uh, plan work? Uh, that's a question mark. Could some form of extending Medicare to younger ages work? Uh, yes, I think it absolutely could. Mark? Well, it, of course, depends on what you mean by work. Uh, if we woke up tomorrow morning <laughs> yeah. and we had a single-payer Medicare for all, all Sen- although Senator Sanders and none of the Democratic candidates really provide uh, enough detail for people like us. But if you had something like that, uh, people wouldn't be dying in the streets. Uh, the, the Health care would get provided and paid for. The question is whether it would work better than either what we currently have, which is not a very high bar, but still, uh, or whether it would work better than some other alternatives uh, that that uh, might not fly under that, under the, well, you have to choose your flag here. Is it Medicare for all or is it single payer? Because as Rob said, if it's today's Medicare for all, that's not single payer. So so there's that complication. Well, but it, it, it's a, a matter, so there's uh, as you can imagine, people like us start unpacking, well, there's different features of this. Right. One is how stuff 
uh, the role of government in taxes, which you already commented on, and I, I don't think there's any way to get around the uh, proposition that there'd be an enormous increase in tax burden associated with this. Then is the second is the role of out-of-pocket payments, which, which Rob mentioned, should, should all care be free for everybody, uh, including Wharton full professors, or should we pay something? Uh, and then there's the issue of, of who sets how the care is to be paid for. Should that be done by a single entity? Uh, uh, and then I guess there's the fourth question, which is, well, should there be pr- – do private firms have a role to play in this or should should uh, insurance be socialized? Uh, These, not that, not that, every, that, um, that even democratic socialists propose socializing everything, I need to say. But these are, these are ideas that obviously have been brought forth in other countries around the world. And, and I guess the question is, is, Mark, do some of these ideas work fairly well in other countries? Well, I think the answer is um, almost everything works pretty well. Uh, in fact, the differences that you see across countries in terms of healthcare spending or in terms of health outcomes are um, not very strongly related to the kind of system they have. Right. Uh, so uh, it's hard. Yeah, it's kind of back to my first point. Uh, if you have good doctors and good hospitals and sick people, the world finds a way no matter what. Uh, but uh, and, and it's certainly true that in some dimensions the U.S. is an outlier, say particularly in the proportion that comes from the private sector. Uh, the only other country that's real close to us is Singapore, which incidentally gets the best health co- outcomes and the lowest share of GDP of any country in the world. Uh, but on something else like the proportion out of pocket, we run around 10 percent in the U.S. and Switzerland, which I think we all greatly admire. It's more like 25 percent. And uh, some other countries are, 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 are much higher. I, it would be snarky for me to say that the only countries that have a fully socialized system that Senator Sanders would prefer are North Korea and Cuba. But yeah. I, that, if I was a snarky person, I would say that. <laughs> but you're not, uh, Rob. Right. But putting that aside, get, getting back to the cost, um, the worst case scenario, which George Mason University, a fairly uh, right-leaning uh, think tank there came up with, was $35 trillion over the next 10 yeah. years. Yeah. But break that down. What is that a year? Uh, it's not accounting for inflation. It's $3.5 trillion a year, sure. uh, which is exactly what we're spending right now. So if the Sanders plan is going to cover virtually everything, it's not coming in much more than our our total system right now. Uh, so it's really allocating who pays what, right? And and that that go ahead, Mark. Yeah. So here's the tricky part. You I you could pay me a lot of money for consulting, and I would come up with my own estimate. Sure. Which yeah. is based on the thought, as I just mentioned, that about half of U.S. healthcare spending now comes from the private sector. So if it's all going to go to taxes, taxes will have to increase by the uh, the other the, by the half, which is right now um, half of about three point four trillion, one point seven trillion. Uh, and roughly speaking, that's what we currently collect from the federal income tax. So one way to think about this is. It would one way to finance it would be to double the income tax for right. everybody who pays income tax. It being close to April fifteenth, I'm kind of uh, not <laughs> so eager to see my income tax double. I don't think that so it would be a pretty big kick in the pants uh, in terms of what you would have to pay in taxes. Now the the tricky part here and the part that I think actually is worth thinking about just in general is. Well, and Senator Sanders and Senator Harris and others would say, well, and Rob said, well, it's that's just redividing the total. You're just moving how you pay for it from 
uh, getting it, as most people get it at work, to ha- paying taxes. And so the um, the uh, the question would be, uh, and I, I figure that uh, uh, something like um, fifteen or sixteen thousand dollars of my compensation here at Penn goes toward. Uh, paying my health insurance, some yeah. of it explicit, some of it implicit. Uh, would I get all that money back as cash uh, if uh, uh, if it moved? If Penn didn't have to pay for it and moved over to the tax system, economists actually believe if the markets are competitive. I don't know if they are for aged full professors, but you know, in general, <laughs> if they are, pe- workers would get the money back as higher money wages. Of course, they then have to pay tax on it, which is why we prefer the current system. We who would otherwise owe taxes. But, but, uh, but, uh, yeah. I, at least I've never seen a serious discussion of w- w- how the shell game works and how right. you manage yeah. to collect the the p the p that you lost with your right hand with the, the under the shell on your left hand. Right. right, right. And and if he were truly able to get rid of out of pocket costs, copays and deductibles, that and that more. would be well, that's only ten percent more though. So it actually isn't enormous. Uh, yeah, but 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 it would be part of the puzzle. Um, there are other questions as to whether it would work or not. Uh, we don't have any system here without copays or deductibles. Correct. And right. what would that do to people's propensity to overuse services? Uh, right. Yeah, That's that was one yeah. of the topics I wanted to bring up is that how would that change people's mindset of going to see their doctors? Because right now we do know that there is a segment of the population out there that if they have a medical concern – are are more willing to bypass going to a doctor because of the fact that either they don't have insurance or they don't have the right type of insurance to be able to cover the cost of going to see that doctor and finding out what their problem is. Yeah, there's sort of this uh, golden window between not discouraging people from getting necessary care and not encouraging them to get unnecessary care. We know uh, from the RAND experiment and from work by eminent health economists that uh, people do respond to copays and deductibles uh, and that uh, if we can get it right, uh, we will affect uh, their their use of services. Um, But uh, without any copays or deductibles, as Bernie Sanders is suggesting, uh, I think that's a prescription for big problems. Yeah, I think there's an important distinction to be made here, both in terms of my own thinking and I think in terms of design. What we actually know is that high out-of-pocket payments discourage everybody from seeking medical care, from going to the doctor or the ER, not just low-income people, but high-income people too. Uh, and uh, so at least one simple cut for me is, well, I, I don't want to encourage people like me, to, uh, at least in general, to seek more medical care than we currently get. Uh, we always talk about the, the, uh, uh, inv- the uh, socially vulnerable populations. What about invulnerable populations yeah. like us? On the other hand, low-income people uh, uh, arguably uh, uh, need more help in, in being able to afford care. In fact, in some cases, perhaps they should even be paid to get certain kinds of care. But at least it, it should be free for them. And it kind of is, but of course, because of the... Uh, gap in uh, Obamacare for the states that didn't expand Medicaid, we still have about 9% of the population uh, facing uh, full payment. But has the the ACA maybe even opened up the door a little bit to even considering some of these options right now? Uh, Well, yes and no, I guess. Uh, It it certainly opened up the door to considering uh, the need to extend insurance coverage to every American. 
Uh, it's also, this is my take, it has also raised the question, though, which is kind of behind Rob's comment, you want to extend insurance coverage that will encourage the use of cost-effective care, right. but not insurance coverage that will encourage the use of care that's not cost-effective. And that's, that uh, is hard to talk about. People talk about, do you believe in the right to health care? I definitely believe in it. Uh, but I don't believe in the right to not cost-effective health care, either for me or anybody else. Rob? Yeah. Uh, one thing that would also be lost with the Sanders program is the chance for experimentation. And right, right now, even within Medicare, uh, we've got experiments with bundled payments, with accountable care organizations, the Center for uh, Medicare Innovation. Um, if we just have one-size-fits-all we wouldn't be able to fiddle around with managed care, capitation, uh, alternative payment mechanisms. Uh, and, and that's one of the advantages of a multiple-payer system. Um, but multiple-payer doesn't have to mean what we have now. Right, uh, right. There are a lot of um, me- um, middle-of-the-road measures uh, that could keep elements of both. What do you think would be some of the ones that maybe should be considered at this point? Those middle of the road, yeah, yeah, ideas. Well, uh, what a lot of the Democratic candidates are talking about um, is a, a buy-in uh, after a certain age, yep. uh, where it would be an option. Uh, some of the proposals say even employers could choose that for their employees. Right. Um, so that way, we would be able to keep Medicare pretty much as it is now, without doing that piece of major surgery, um, but still extend coverage to people who have trouble getting it or can't afford the Obamacare exchanges or or whatever. Uh, so I think that um, incremental approach uh, is something that, to me, uh, is, is is attractive. Mark. Yeah, it's sort of interesting uh, at. Present, as Rob mentioned, uh, you can get a private plan uh, that Medicare will pay for, and that share is now up to 35% and growing. So, in a sense, the Medicare we actually have, the Medicare program we actually have, is one with a public option. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I go on Medicare, I can choose a private plan or I can choose a public plan, the uh, the um, original Medicare. So we already uh, we already have an example of a plan with a public option and a private option. At the moment, the public option is losing out to the private option, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Uh, we've talked about that before here. I think, though, the main sort of principle to invoke here is that. Well, if you're going to have choice among options, it should be a level playing field, and you shouldn't uh, foster the government's child more than favor it relative to the uh, private side. I, I think sitting here and, and having talked with both of you over the last couple of years uh, about this topic, the one thing that also strikes me, and it's kind of something we were talking about a moment ago, is the fact that in the end, it, it's a person's decision about what they want to do with their health care. And it's very hard, I think, to try and have the government or have other entities implement something and make people want to get it. And therein lies, I think, the biggest problem that we're going to have with healthcare in general moving long term, moving down the road. Right, right, right. Um, Everyone loves choice. Americans love it more than anyone else in the world. And we safeguard our choice more than people in Western Europe or or anywhere else. Um, I think there's some illusion there, though. Uh, We can choose insurance plans. Uh, Most of them restrict our coverage, uh, set up narrow networks, uh, prior review our services. So we can sort of uh, choose which entity is going to restrict our choices. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm not sure that's the kind of choice we really understand that we have. 
Um, certainly, being able to choose a private option versus the public option is very appealing. It makes a lot of sense. Um, remember, that's true uh, virtually everywhere else in the world, uh, yeah. perhaps except North Korea and Cuba. Uh, even England, which has the most socialized system where the government runs the hospitals and employs the doctors, has about 10 percent of the people opting out for private insurance and private hospitals. Uh, so the one-size-fits-all of Bernie Sanders does not have precedent, and there are all of those downsides to it. Mark? I think, I think a, a, an important empirical question, I keep trying to get a Ph.D. student to work on this, is how much difference is there in preferences? among Americans uh, for um, not just health care, but also health insurance. And uh, as Rob mentioned, the main choice that we have nowadays is how do you want to limit your choices in order to save yeah. you money? Right. Uh, not uh, The option of having everything I and my doctor want, no matter what the cost, is not in the cards, and not even under a Medicare for all Bernie Sanders style system. It's not that great. It can't be. So that's, that's the real dilemma. And pr- arguably, other countries with more homogeneous populations, they're more satisfied with a single choice. Senator Harris, who I think is really an attractive Active candidate, but when asked by Jake Tapper, does that mean people will have to, uh, who like their private insurance, will not be able to keep it? She said, uh, effectively, well, this new plan that we'll offer is going to be so great, everybody yeah. will love it, yeah. and uh, yeah. that certainly hasn't been true for medic actual Medicare that we have. Everybody doesn't love uh, original Medicare. Otherwise, they would have not deserted it, uh, although everybody loves the idea of Medicare, and that's what we're talking about. One of the ironies of the public perception is that, in general, you have more choice under the government programs than under the private programs. Right. So if you look at traditional Medicare, you put up with big copays and deductibles. You have to get Medicare supplement insurance, but it's basically going to cover everything. Every, Every doctor, more or less, in every hospital for sure. In every hospital and the broadest uh, uh, range of procedures and services. Um, Now, it's not going to have some of the wellness benefits and and some of the other add-ons that the private ones have, um, but they're going to restrict your choice. Uh, So uh, having a public option does not mean uh, a faceless bureaucrat uh, restricting your care. Well, and I I think a lot of people are concerned about, uh, you know, if you were to have a program of health care here in the United States and it was something that the government ran, how different would it be at the core level at the at, you know when you go to see your doctor when you go into the ER if you have a broken leg right. when you even go take your kid to see your pediatrician how different would that particular type of system be compared to what we see now well the biggest benefit is or at least potential benefit is no billing True. Yeah. So people now, uh, it's, it's like a second job having to deal with a, a range of hospital bills. Yeah. And if we really had a single payer program, that would all be taken care of automatically. When you talk to people from a lot of European countries and talk about problems with billing, they just look at you blankly and say, what's a medical bill? Yeah. yeah. Well, we have some um, examples in the private sector of no billing. The Kaiser Health Plan is yeah. a primary example. And um, some people in California choose them and some don't. Uh, so uh, all of us would like not to have to ask Mother May I uh, as, as much as we do, although uh, I was just uh, informed that Medicare doesn't it, it doesn't automatically approve everything. Right. And they're thinking of uh, rolling out an app. So you could find out if you're a Medicare beneficiary whether the thing you and your doctor are talking about would be approved. But certainly there's less harassment with 
with Medicare so far. On the other hand, uh, if you look at the future of Medicare, remember there is another major public program called Medicaid, and yes. people always get those mixed up. That one does not make every doctor in the country available to you, although still most hospitals. But uh, as I think I may have mentioned on here before, one of the scariest things about studying the future of Medicare is that Medicare payment rates to doctors are already in law scheduled to fall kind of to Medicaid levels relative to private payments in about five years. So uh, so I guess I'll keep teaching. I, I don't want to go on Medicare. <laughs> go ahead, Rob. Uh, so if um, – we did have a Medicare for All system. Uh, that's one set of payments from one payer. Uh, it would be very difficult then for doctors and hospitals to opt out. Uh, yeah. So you, you basically yeah. would be guaranteed that you'd have every provider in the network. Um, but uh, Medicare would then make decisions, not just about payment, but about coverage and new technologies. Right now, Medicare makes those decisions and private insurers generally follow, but they don't have to be in lockstep. If we only had Medicare, uh, then basically that would determine what we could get. But again, I'll bring up something I know I've, I've touched on with both of you before, is the fact that the, the current structure that we have of healthcare in this in this country, obviously, there is a big component of the health insurance companies right. in this as well, which certainly don't want to be looking at an option where they would be, I, I think, in most cases, be going out of business. Well, that's why we have Obamacare today, yeah. as opposed to a, a Medicare for all type system, yeah. because it's a very powerful political force and a major employer. And since the 1970s, really, we've only been looking at expanding coverage through the private sector, yeah. through enabling people to, to get private policies more easily. So I suspect politically, uh, that would be a formidable force to, to fight against. And again, we're talking about thousands upon thousands of jobs and, yep. and economic engines. Yep. And I think one of the proposals have something in there for retraining, uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's kind well, of a pittance. I, I'm not sure that's so serious. Uh, I mean, after all, we've already taken jobs away from lots of professions, journalism, uh, <laughs> railroading, yes. uh, and so forth in the United States. Manufacturing. And, and, yeah. Well, yeah. manufacturing, yes, to, to a considerable extent. Uh this is also important to know, even in original Medicare, there are private companies that right. play a major role in most of the of the paper shuffling the the processing of claims is done by private companies so uh, and that's True. the bulk yeah. of the employment in big insurers in fact, many of them. Uh, aren't actually providing insurance because they're they're just providing administrative services to large employers like Penn. Those people who are um, processing claims, reviewing claims, uh, adjudicating disputes would still have jobs, and they might even have them with the same company, uh, or the companies would have to change their name, and then they could be they get a contract. So that's not terribly different, uh, and uh, and you shouldn't look at. Anything in healthcare is a jobs program, although sure. yeah. it has been uh, one of the country's been. most important jobs programs uh, over the last uh, 30 years. But I, I, I wonder, and I also have a level of concern, Rob, that as we get closer and closer to the 2020 election and the fact that all of the candidates on the Democratic side are seemingly talking about this already, uh, that the message becomes even more convoluted as to where we need to go with healthcare post-2020. Right. You know, thinking that next decade, that next half century. Part of the problem is politically, it's very hard to give a detailed program because you're creating a target. 
and it's always for somebody for, for somebody yeah, yeah. Uh, and and you can always find flaws with anything yeah uh, so I think candidates are going to be reluctant to put out too many details um, what really was the winner for Democrats in the election last year was uh, guaranteed coverage for people with pre-existing yeah. conditions. And yeah. that's what people really reacted to. And now they've gone one step further. We're going to do that with Medicare for all, whatever that turns out to mean. I suspect that as we get closer to the election, they're going to come back to that theme uh, without saying it's through this mechanism or the other. We're going to make sure that everyone gets covered. Mark, final thought, about 30 seconds. Uh, well, so I guess uh, the, the, the issue always is the political power of insurers. Uh, of course, that's kind of the issue nowadays with all the discussion about uh, inequality of income and wealth. What bothers most people about that is that the wealthy have more political influence, I think. Not that they are spending it on yachts. But the punchline here, I think, is insurers have been successful uh, in lobbying against r removing their role. They basically killed uh, uh, Clinton care. But um, insurers, uh, I hate to say this, don't really have any principles. They'll do anything if you'll sure. pay them. Yeah. So yeah. the deal could be cut that they would yeah. still play a major role in running a Medicare for all, uh, and they they would be happy. Uh, so uh, I, I think uh, that uh, is uh, probably overstated as a as a uh, uh, an impediment. The greater impediment, I think, is back to Senator Harris's town meeting, people saying and research. Uh, uh, surveys say the same thing. People who are in favor of Medicare for all don't want to give up their private insurance. Mark, great seeing you again. Rob, great seeing you. Thank you all. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. That'll take care of the show. You're on Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 132. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.